0: John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to look at a famous story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. But We're actually going to really study a lot of the verses that lead up to their conversation this morning. That if we want to see people go from lost to leading, the way that Jesus enacted this in just one woman's life, I believe is going to be powerful, to right where you are spiritually So you're turning to john chapter four let's watch this real quick 30 second commercial together and then we're going to get started let's watch this a blindfold mom really happy graduation sweetie ah! i can't believe should you should be died. telling i No, let it tire out first oh, not yet he's losing That's steam scary. <laughs> best gift ever. Oh my God. Best gift ever. Whoa, best, best gift ever. ever. Yes, best gift ever. Hey, Mister Johnson just stole my car. <laughs> I love that commercial. It illustrates something important. But how many of you? We had everybody getting graduated this year. Any people we did at the last service? Dude, right there. Just ask your parents. That's all you need, man. Yellow convertible Camaro, can happen. I know Ray will make that happen. Yeah. Best gift ever. He's going nuts. He's going crazy. Here's the thing. I've been Christian long enough that I know, that you know, and that I know that as that being followers of Jesus, we have experienced the best gift ever, right? We really believe that the Bible teaches, think about this, that, that Jesus came, he gave his life on the cross, atoning and covering up for our mistakes. He, he rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, That anybody who surrenders their life to Jesus and his will, receives his grace and mercy in their lives, will live with him eternally in paradise as heaven is completely restored and we live with God forever. And that even, it doesn't just end there, that even now, this side of heaven in this broken, desolate, hurtful world, That we can know the Almighty God, we can get glimpses of what heaven is gonna be like. No matter what we're facing, we are never alone. And you you and I both know that, and we know we got the greatest gift ever, but how many of you respond like that? Most of us are more like if we had just gotten, I don't even know what that was, was it like a, a washing machine? A refrigerator, was that what it was? I didn't care, who cares? I saw the car. Thank you mini fridge. Cela. So that we treat it like that's that kind of gift. Not the greatest. Oh yeah, he saved me. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I get it. What would it look like in your life for God to renew a passion of faith that you would have a heart and compassion for those who don't know the Lord, that, that we believe, I mean, it's not an arrogant thing. It's not that somebody is worse than us, but we believe they haven't discovered yet the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that they're living with God eternally, that they're lost and, and need to be found, scriptures talk about. One of the songs we sang about. And, and that, that person could actually encounter the living God, be changed forever, and spend eternity in heaven. Don't you want to share that message with somebody? So let me ask you this question. Who will be in heaven because of you? No, let me stop there. Obviously, God does the work of changing people's lives, saving them. You are no one's savior, and you don't need to act like it. However, God has entrusted us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what good news means? Like, the, the term in Greek is evangelion where we get the word evangelism for. I find it especially ironic that in our culture today, when we hear evangelicals, we don't think of the bearers of good news. We think of a political perspective. Isn't that weird? Evangelion, the term was used in battle where if somebody was at the front lines and they had a victory, an evangelical or someone who had the Evangelion, the good news, would run back to tell the people at home the good news of the victory they had. So when we talk about the Evangelion of Jesus Christ, as we talk about evangelism, it's that you know the good news of Jesus and you get to run home and tell people about it. It's sad that that's not our perspective, yet that's entirely biblical. We believe that this passage in scripture demonstrates that very thing to us. So you guys ready to study God's word at 1015 this morning? Let's look at it. Verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Jesus was a great delegator. Verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. That's key. Underline, circle that in your Bible. Highlight it on your iPad or your iPhone. Or if you're an Android person, we will pray for you. (laughs) Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Literally, Jews didn't eat from the plates of Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw God, we pause this morning. Uh, Some drove great distances to be here with us through the rain even, this packed out service this morning. People want to be here. They desire you. Uh, A number of people who are here with us or watching online may be just starting a relationship with you. Many of them may not even know you yet. Others have been Christians for decades. And so we pause to do two things. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. And then wherever we're at spiritually, God, we ask that you would speak to our souls. Help us to draw near to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. How many of you guys or ladies love puppies? Okay, so the people who didn't raise the hands, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Right, like who doesn't love puppies? Like you're like an evil person. I don't know what's wrong with you. You notice, uh, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Don't take it too seriously. Like, yeah, I know, some of you out there noticed that I did not ask, do we have any cat lovers out there because we only have godly people at this church and, <laughs> and pray for all you cat. No, maybe you're a kitten person. I don't know what you are. My wife, she's a bunny person. She loves those little cute bunnies. She thinks they're so wonderful. I, I want to confess a couple. Of things. It's always good before you start preaching to confess some things, get them off your chest. Number one, um, uh, I am not a good pet owner, and I need to confess that to you. Not because I don't love the animal and treat it extremely well. I do those things, uh, but because I have no clue how to potty train an animal. Anybody with me on that? And there is this thing, this little repetition I have fallen into in my adult life twice where I made the mistake of looking at cute little adorable animals. And right a month after planting the church, Mercy Road, five and a half years ago, I took my wife into Uncle Bill's up in Fishers. Have any of you ever been there? This isn't a promotion for Uncle Bill's this morning, but I went in there and just see all these cute little animals. And I saw this one puppy dog, and I was like, Lisa, this puppy is so cute. Look at this. We just, we gotta take it home. It's gonna stay here, and it's gonna be in a cage. And if we don't save it, if we don't save it, And take it home and be with the family. What's going to happen to this puppy dog? You been there? And the next thing you know, you're selling out all this money to take this animal home that now you have to care for and potty train. Confession again, both uh, that and the rabbit that I saved from a farm up in northern Indiana. Two years later, we gave both of them away because we couldn't potty train them and they were stuck in a certain area of our house and we wanted to free them. How many of you can identify just a little bit, not maybe with being a bad pet owner, but with seeing that cute little animal and you just had to take it home with you, save its life? I want to tell you, I was thinking about um, things that we find desirable. And I wonder why it is I walk in and I see this cute thing and that same type of love and compassion when I see people, sometimes it ain't there. Would you agree? Do you find it the older you get sometimes to love people and have compassion for them, not more, but less? And yet the heart of the good news of Jesus and the, the Gospels is it's not just about saving an animal, that we actually believe the eternal soul of a human being is at stake here. And that we have the best gift ever to tell them how to come home eternally. And I find I want to have that type of tear-filled love and compassion for those who don't know Jesus yet. You been there? That's at the heart of what I want to talk about through these verses of John chapter 4 this morning. I'm often, my friend Ben Hancock in college, he was not a Christian, and he's still not a Christian, and we've been friends for a long time. And he used to tell me, Josh, shouldn't you be trying to save me or something? right? He's an atheist. I was like, "Uh, maybe I should. Maybe I should. And over the years, Ben has known that I desire that for him. And we talk about those things on a regular basis. And I still believe one day, even people like that in our lives will encounter the living God and have their life forever changed by him. Who in your life right now needs to discover that kind of a relationship with God that is life-changing, that could take someone from lost to leading in the faith. Because I know they're out there. And if I had that compassion a desire, like I did for a cute animal, and I had that for a human being, I would walk towards them rather than away from them, wouldn't we? So very quickly, I want to give you three steps to bringing someone to heaven with you when all is said and done. And the first step is this, to be friends with sinners, be friends with sinners. Well, As Christians, we spend a lot of our life trying to avoid sinners. And yet at the heart of following Jesus is to actually be friends with them. Jesus, when he was on this planet, he was constantly friends with sinners. Right? Like Zacchaeus up in the tree, the tax collector. Nobody liked him. Big sinner. He befriended him, went and ate with him. He takes, in in the Gospel of Matthew, he takes the disciples, which is basically like these teenagers, like a youth group, and he takes them to the most sinful place on the planet, to the very gates of Hades itself, essentially, where there was pagan worship of the god Pan, and in that environment, teaches them his ways. Like, if you want to follow Jesus and you want to avoid everything in this world, you'll never see God fully use your life. We should purify our lives, but we should do it in a way that leads to us befriending sinners. And so I want to look at those first four verses, beginning in verse 3 with me in John chapter 4. It says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Uh, Another translation talks about that he heard that he needed to go this direction. And he's going to walk through Samaria, Now that may not mean much to you and to me. But going through Samaria, that's where like the bad people lived. Samaria was the people who used to be Jewish, rescinded to faith, started worshiping pagan idols, marrying all kinds of people, having all you ever hear of Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament? Like that, she was a Samaritan. She was from a queen of Samaria. That those were the types of people that caused them to get in the predicament they found themselves in. Where now the Roman Empire had invaded them. They had lost their land in Jesus' day. They had lost everything. It was because of those people. And yet Jesus takes the youth group with him and decides to walk through Samaria just so he'll end up having one conversation with this one woman. What would it look like for you to walk towards people rather than away from them and befriend even the most broken people in this world? That's what happens in this passage. There's a great short book by uh, Pastor Bill Hybels called Walk Across the Room, and he talks about one of the, the the most brave, courageous things you can do that's also very simple is simply to walk across the room to have a conversation with somebody rather than avoiding or walking away. We'll often talk about when we see our neighbors outside, dude, instead of doing like most of us do, which is do this, right, so that you don't have to talk to them. What if you actually walk towards them, you don't talk their ear off for half an hour, but you get to know them. You befriend everybody in your, in your sphere of influence. That's what happens here in this passage. It goes on in verses 5 through 9 again. Read it with me. It said, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sagar Sakar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This used to be a place where God resided, and Joseph's well is there. Uh, excuse me, Jacob's well is there. It's a literal well. I think I've got a picture of Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. That's what the, it's been built up around there. But this is a literal archaeological place where Jesus encounters this woman at the well. And he's going to break every barrier to have this conversation. He's going to break the gender barrier. He's going to break the ethnic barrier. He's going to break the socioeconomic barrier. He talks to a woman. that was bad enough in that culture. He talks to a woman who was also Samaritan. And he talks to a woman who was very broken, as we'll find out in her life. He puts himself in a place where he could have been socially outcasted by people. And that was culture's problem, not his, right? And so he takes a leap of faith to go walk to the well and have a conversation with this one woman. It says in Jeremiah 7.23 in the Old T- Testament, But I gave them this command: Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command that it may go well with you. What's it look like when it comes to following the twofold mission of Jesus Christ, to help those in need and to share your faith? What does it look like to be obedient to him in that? Some of you are going to go, "Dude, dude, I am not an evangelist, right? I am not the Apostle Paul. I'm not going around the Roman Empire telling people about him. I'm going to come back to you in a second at the end of this morning's message. Because I believe that each of us can actually live out the things that we're talking about here. And so, number two, if you're taking notes and you want three steps to seeing somebody go to heaven because God uses your life. Number one, be friends with sinners. Number two, follow God's prompting and speak up. Follow God's prompting and speak up. You see, in verse 3, in John 4, he goes to Samaria because he knows and he hears, that's the way I should go. He's going to follow where his heavenly father, where the spirit is leading. And then when he gets the opportunity to say something in verse seven, look at verse seven again with me. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus didn't walk away. He did not not say hi. He didn't begin to think judgmental thoughts in his head. Instead, rather than looking at the differences in their lives, he says, will you give me a drink? And a simple question that seems unimportant to us. And that culture was incredibly groundbreaking. He's going to talk to the woman who is also a Samaritan that you're not supposed to eat from the same dish of, and he's going to ask her to draw water for him. He's going to befriend the sinner. He's going to follow uh, the Lord's promptings in his life. So let me ask you this question. Are you willing and ready? Are you willing and ready? Because here's the thing. Like what Chad Lunsford talked about a moment ago, that he was an atheist that had never been to churches an entire life, and one person went outside their comfort zone just to invite him to a worship service. He ends up having not just faith in Jesus Christ eternally, he goes on to start churches, work at churches all over the country, lead all kinds of people to faith in Jesus Christ. What do you think he could do with you, and what do you think he's going to do with the person that you lead to Christ? And all it begins with, are we willing and ready and it's not this weird thing that we turned it into where, you know, it's either angry bullhorn guy is the only way to do it or it is I got to make this like weird, awkward conversation where I'm sweating and you feel awkward and I feel awkward. It's just normal. If God has changed your life and you've received the greatest gift ever to turn to somebody, just start talking to him, man. It's that simple. And you don't have to make it weird. If it gets weird, say, sorry, I didn't mean to make that weird. I just love Jesus. Right? Like, it's It's normal. We believe these things, so we should live them. It should never come across as condemnation, right? Look at uh, John 3, 17. We know the greatest verse uh, that many people recite. You see it at the Super Bowl, John three sixteen: 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What comes right after that in verse 17 is this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. It shouldn't come across as condemnation. Instead, but to save the world, Through him. And so are you doing a couple of things. I want to read. Paul writes to the church in Colossae. In chapter 4 verses 3 to 6. And pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. For which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Have you been praying. That God would use you. Yes even you. Even those watching online this morning. To be used by him. To lead even just one person. One person. One person within your lifetime to faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you are sitting, I said I'd mention this. You're like, I'm not Paul the evangelist. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're Ananias. Anybody ever hear of Ananias in the New Testament? Not many of us have heard of him. He actually led more people to Christ than the Apostle Paul. Because he led one person to faith, and it was Paul. So he gets credit for all the people Paul led to faith, plus one. Right? And so maybe you're the plus one. Maybe you're going to lead one person to faith in your life, but it will actually make a bigger impact than the greatest evangelist in human history. You don't know. How can God use you? Maybe there are some Ananiases in the room right now, and so just simply ask you, are you praying? As Paul tells the church in Colossae, that he would speak the the message boldly and clearly, succinctly. Maybe this morning you need to write on the back of a Connect card and begin to pray, pray, pray. Pray. God would use you and you say, I don't know how to do that. I'm going to go to the part of the 3D living. So I want to share this. I didn't get to share this at the last service. And and I think this is really great. Bill Hybels writes this in that book. I said, 3D living and the three steps towards uh, actually walking towards people, walking across the room. Number one, develop friendships. And as I said, are you walking towards people or or are you cocooning or are you connecting? Which one are you doing in your life right now? Then to discover stories and discern next steps. You don't have to win somebody over with your great presentation of the gospel day one. All you got to do is love people and they're going to see Jesus alive in you. And when the opportunity presents itself to follow the prompting of the Lord as Jesus does in John chapter 4. I love it. And here's why we should do it. Second Corinthians 6, 1-2 says this. As God's coworkers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time for bold sharing. Every week when we get sent out of here and we tell people we want to live boldly and love deeply in our sphere of influence, one of the ways that we do that is simply by sharing our faith boldly and loving people deeply in our sphere of influence. It's not weird. It's just part of knowing the greatest gift the world has ever seen. And you want to share that with people. And one invitation to an Easter service, one invitation over to your house, one invitation to uh, somebody, a co-worker, to hang out with them and just get to know them could literally change the course of human history. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'm really asking that. Because I'll tell you, you're probably like me. I get so distracted in this life, I forget the necessity, the importance of what that represents. Of That is somebody's eternity that we're talking about. I don't want to forget. I don't know about you. I don't want to take it for granted anymore. There are people that have led this church for the last five and a half years who weren't really following the Lord before the church started. I'm going to mention them. a couple of them in the mo- in a moment, so... Maybe it begins with you befriending sinners and then number two, following God's prompting in your life and then number three, share hope and contextualize the good news. Literally, just say something. Say something. Look look what Jesus does in this passage. When we get to, to verses 15 through 26, he's gonna begin that conversation. He's gonna ask a question there in verse seven. They follow up with this conversation that begins. Verse 15, it says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. When you talk to somebody about what God has done in your life, about the living water that we have that leads to eternity, that we just read a few verses earlier, like it comes across, they want to know more. They want that. They desire it. This woman, she desires it. She's asking questions about it. He told her, go call your husband and come back. This is key. You know the story, some of you. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, I love this. This is just totally Jesus, grace and truth. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five, five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, I don't think he's being sarcastic there. I wonder if he's got a smile on his face or what's going on in that conversation. But in that moment, he's acknowledging, Yeah, you're broken. You're broken. But he doesn't stop the conversation. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't condemn her and tell her she's a horrible person. She responds here and says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you were a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship in Jerusalem is in Jerusalem. She says, I can't really be one of those followers of you. I can't be a follower of God because I, I know I'm broken, and you guys tell me i got to go worship somewhere, and i got to do these things, and I'll never do it. Look down with me to Verse 23. Yet Jesus replies, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and the worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. He said there a time is coming when it won't matter whether you were a Jew or a Gentile or a Samaritan or you grew up in Brooklyn or you grew up in Brazil, Indiana. It's not going to matter all that's going to matter is it's not even going to matter the brokenness. You've got five husbands in your past. You've made all of these mistakes, right? You've been looking at stuff you shouldn't look at. You've been doing things on the weekend you shouldn't be doing. You've been spending money the way you shouldn't have spent money. Like you've been doing these things. And rather than with condemnation, Jesus looks at this woman and he invites her into a greater relationship. and says, even you, there will be a day when the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And it won't matter all that backstory If you ask for forgiveness, you repent and you turn to him. And this woman will do that here. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And in this moment, this woman is going to turn her life over to Jesus. And he's going to tell her, now go and live your life differently. Sin no more. We often say, come as you are, but don't stay there. When we encounter Christ, he transforms us. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the transformation that Jesus brings when you really know him. I encourage you this morning to sign up for Rooted. It's a 10-week discipleship experience. It's going to begin on April 19th. You'll hear more about it next week. Uh, We're going to have those sign-ups at the, the table in the Connect Center out in the lobby Sign up for Rooted. We want to see God, people experience that type of life transformation. This woman is going to experience it. We genuinely believe no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. That the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for, for saints. And when people discover a life-changing relationship with Him, it changes the course of your life. You don't believe me? Let me give you a couple examples. I asked for permission from these two to share these stories. One of them didn't get back to me, so I said I'd share a story anyway. The first one is Dave Rothenberg. Dave, uh, I've known for two and a half, three years now, almost three years. When he first started coming to the church, uh, he was of Jewish descent, was probably agnostic, definitely was not a Christian. And over there, his his, uh, girlfriend, Angela, invited him. He began to ask questions. And over the course of two years, we'd meet one-on-one. Some of you heard me share this before. It's just the two of us. He called it his small group. And when we would get together, he'd ask all kinds of questions. That was a Christian joke, in case you were wondering. He'd ask all kinds of questions, and, and we began to talk about spiritual things. And he'd read all kinds of books. And then last April, he had a moment with God that was kind of life-altering for him and began to believe he might be becoming a Christian. And then he went on our life-remodeled trip to Detroit last August and had an experience with God where he truly surrendered his life to Jesus. Jesus. And then this last uh, October, he got baptized in that tank right there. And now this coming August, he's now Dave is now leading the trip to Detroit. That's what it looks like to go from lost to leading. That can happen in anybody's life. And now, rather than living in this broken world where you get any fleeting bit of pleasure and happiness and try and make sense of it as you go along, you have a purpose and a reason for existing And God didn't make any mistakes. He created you. Yes, you with a purpose. And he desires for each of us to be transformed, to become leaders in the mission of Jesus Christ, to help those in need and to share our faith. Who's going to experience the life-changing love of Jesus because of your life? Because he's not done with you. You got five ex-husbands, he's not done with you. You lying about who you're living with now, he's not done with you. You're saying, my whole family's got this pagan history, he's not done with you. He believes your life can be forever changed. And we as followers of Jesus should share that hope with others. It's not just Dave that's experienced this. I asked, like the Standbacks got back to me, Charles and Rachel Standback. Many of you know them. They've been around since we start, before we started the church. You're one of the first 20 people within Mercy Road. Uh, when they started, they hadn't really been plugged into a church. Hadn't, they would consider themselves Christians, but hadn't really been living their faith out. And God just got a hold of them that first year. And they began to live their faith out more and more. And that led to them eventually even getting involved in leadership. And they were a couple of the early leaders in the church. And Charles ended up preaching on Sunday mornings over the last four years. It's been incredible. And Rachel Stanback is on our Outside the Walls team that determines where 35% of our resources go outside the walls this year to help those in need right here in our community and around the world. Leaders for the faith. And it took beginning to believe that I could be transformed not just to have salvation and go to heaven, but I'm going to be made new and I'm going to live for him and I've only got so many hours and days and years and decades on this planet I'm going to use it for something that matters. That could be you. That could be you. Who's your plus one? Who's going to be in heaven forever because of you? I don't know if you're Ananias or if you're Paul the Evangelist, but I know what Jesus does in this passage each of us can do. Befriend sinners, walk towards them rather than away. Begin to talk to them, befriend them, get to know them, share our lives with them, follow God's prompting, and then to speak up and share our hope in a contextualized way with them. What's that look like for you? As I close this service, as I did the other one, uh, one of the things that we're announcing this morning is kind of life-shaking, and over the next six weeks... Uh, we're getting ready. I'm going to be on sabbatical this summer. You guys know that. We've got everything almost completely planned from now through October. We're praying that God changes those plans as we go, if it fits His unique vision even better. And as we do that, one of the things that came up was we give so many resources away, which we love, and we will never we will never stop doing that. We're going to get to 50% one day because too many of our churches spend our money on buildings and on staff, and we never actually make the impact in the community. We are given a 501c3 for, and we want to change that within. Our culture, we want better PR for Jesus. And so as we've done that, we realize one of the things that will impede the mission over the next six months, and I'm just praying that God will do this. It seems like a really weird thing to me because normally we spend six months to to a year planning these things out. We've spent a week and a half, a week and a half, because we realized this was something God could do now. That could really actually lead people from loss to leading. And one of those things are how anybody here from the private reserve outpost or the private reserve apartment complex? You won't believe what Jesus has been doing there. Some of you students know uh, we've had trouble sometimes finding carpools to get students from that apartment complex to our Sunday night summit worship gathering for junior high and high school students, which is blowing up by the way. And so we, we've decided we need a bus. This is crazy. We're going to get a bus so that they can take more people and stop saying no to students in the apartment complex that might be led to Christ. We saw five of those students. You guys got baptized just, I don't know, six months or a year ago. And so we want to see more of that happen to say that people are going to be from lost to leading. And then the second thing is this. And this is a big dream of mine. And you may not have the passion for this that I have. I get it. But it's a passion for me. My background was in communication in college. We now have hired Dana Byers as a full-time pastor here at the church of our operation and mission. She worked at Life Church. She's a part of that church for the last 14 years, the largest church in the country. And she was the associate online campus pastor. We have a wealth of knowledge that never existed in this church before. And then we have Rob Elder, who is giving up um, uh, more time with his his business. He does work in an app company, Pro Apps Live, and he does all kinds of stuff. And he's investing more hours now to be our online pastor. He's right back there in the back. We love you, Rob. And he's doing all this while he heard about his son Isaiah and be praying for his family. Because you know we've been praying for what they've been going through with the son being diagnosed with leukemia. And this is real life, guys. And so he's devoted hours of his life away from his family to try and lead people to Jesus. And his family's excited about that. He loves his son well. And we want to see that online campus become a, a, something that right now, this morning, there are hundreds of people uh, watching this online being impacted. Last week, we baptized Kyle Rouse in this tank, and he actually committed his life, recommitted his life to Christ while watching the service online. And so we have a game plan to reach out to the 30-mile radius around here, and once we have done that effectively to then create a national or even global online experience for people. And we're using social media in a way. We were one of the first churches to ever use our online campus on Facebook Live. We have a big vision for it. The one thing that has been lacking is we, we've never, ever really bought equipment for it to do these things. And so they've been running like the Millennium Falcon back there trying to kick things to get it to work sometimes. And so we want to fix that. And so the other thing that we'll be doing as a part of this campaign is we want to see more people come to Christ through our online campus. And we're going to have actual studio-grade cameras that we would like to see in this facility to lead lots of people to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it may not be your passion. I get it. Don't worry about it. We love you no matter what. But it's a passion of mine because I really believe in the vision. If you want to actually have a church that impacts in the future, you've got to be thinking about these sorts of things. And so our goal is to raise $50,000 over the next six weeks because I'm leaving and I want to have my mind calm before I go on the sabbatical. It's a dream. It may not be possible, but we're looking for anybody that would pray and say, I want to see that kind of experience, to have a bus to lead people to Christ here that now the church can use for all kinds of ministry and bus people in here. And then we're going to actually reach people through our online campus in ways we never have before. Would you pray with me, fast with me for the next four weeks leading up to Easter that we could see those very things occur? And maybe somebody sitting here this morning or watching online, you're using those experiences and you want to see more of that because you don't want to see one more person, one more person that doesn't hear of the greatest gift ever and you want them to experience it and have their family's life changed just as Chad Lunsford described. Will you pray with me? Man, God, I didn't even drink that much coffee this morning. And I'm fired up about this because this is why we do this. And I know there is somebody sitting in this room right now that if they're honest, they lay awake at night and they don't know what's gonna to happen to them when they die. And I don't want that person to live in fear anymore, anxiety or worry, to feel like there's no point to this life. To waste it on so many things, God. I've done it, I've I've lived it, it's not fun. But if you're here this morning and you want to receive the greatest gift ever, to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to live with him eternally in heaven, to experience him in your life now because of his death on the cross and his resurrection for the grave, you, yes, you can be forgiven for any mistakes you've ever done or will do. He makes you new. And if you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus right now, pray this silently as I pray to God. God, I confess that I need you. I confess that I am not perfect. Forgive me for all my wrongdoing. And I surrender my life to you, Jesus Christ, this very moment. Use me. Make me new. Help me to become the person who lives on mission you created me to be. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen.